Welcome one all to Vision on Sound here on Fab Radio International with me, Martin Holmes. No time to hang about this week. This week we are joined by Tim Bourne and Sandy McGregor. And by hook or by crook, they will talk all about The Prisoner. Hello Tim, hello Sandy, how are you both? Um, very well, Martin. You're going to introduce oh, yes. me to your yes. friend Tim. Hello Martin. <laughs> yes, we should say that we are mob-handed this morning. Yeah, we've got my friend Tim Bourne. Tim, as long as I have known him, has been a massive fan of The Prisoner. The Prisoner. The Prisoner. So Fabulous, fabulous. ITC show from 1967. Yes. 17 right. episodes and never made another one, apart from the remake. We don't mind what we'll talk about that. Oh, I thought we were but going to talk about that one. I thought that's we what might we're get there. I we thought might that's what we're talking about, the, uh, <laughs> the series from oh. the 2000s. Oh, yes. Uh, Kim, the one I rewatched, especially for this. <laughs> so, yeah. Jim Caviezel. Caviezel. Caviezel sounds like weasel. You see, this is the sort of insight we never knew. But we are probably going to roll back the years to 50-odd years now. To How long have you been a fan of The Prisoner? Well, it's funny, Sandy, saying that as long as he's known me, I've been a fan of The Prisoner. Because I I probably first became a fan of The Prisoner around the time that I first met you, Sandy. (laughs) Um, So... um, is it, is it the fact that we were both prisoners on a university campus? Ah. I think it was. There were a lot of <laughs> similarities like surre- in that surreal respect. experiences that we had there. <laughs> yeah, and we were looked after by wardens who were big balloons. No, I think I've probably <laughs> gone a little bit too far. So that's probably, to be fair, 15, 20 years after it was first screened. Right. Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that, that, that's one of my points about it. Is like there's lots of people who are massive, massive fans of it who Cage didn't see it when it came out because, you know, we're all people who were born in the 60s. Mm. So when it was on in 67, it wasn't really the kind of viewing that you had as a... Uh, three-year-old. Three-year-old in your case. <laughs> Slightly older. Three-year-old in my case. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we didn't... No, it is weird, though, because I remember walking home from school and a mate of mine telling me he'd been watching this incredible show. It must have been on late nights on ITV, and, he, and we would have been about 10 then. So it would have been a repeat. Mm, what 1974 1975 something like that and him telling me about this night it logging in my brain because it sort of does when you're 10 but i never saw i never we didn't get the tv time so i never knew when it was on he just told me about this great show so it was already on those repeat runs getting itself into the zeitgeist but it took me several more years to actually find the show but i think that is a a key thing about it because there was i say i think it was around the time that I met you, Sandy, was probably the first time I watched it. Mm. It was in my awareness. Mm. You know, it, it's things, so much of it, I think, had sort of just seeped into culture. Mm. For me, probably yeah. the way in was through a lot of the musical acts I liked. There were references throughout lots of sort of um, musicians' work, the look of things, you know, just some of the phrases from it. The, the I am not a number thing. Mm. You, you, you'd heard that in yes. many different contexts. It, it was almost a, a cliche, mm. and it, it was always associated. It always seemed to. It always had this air of coolness about it. It was associated very strongly with uh, being an individual, and so 
sort of had my introduction to it through that way hmm. but never actually watched the whole series and so so then watching it sort of 15 20 years after the whole series would that have been it's on, just mind-blowing would that have been on channel four or something there was a channel four repeat i think right. they, they repeated the whole series in and the, would that um, be the first time you actually saw it or yeah so well, to just... be honest, I think I think I missed. I didn't see all of the series then. I think what right. I got was um, a set of the VHSs at yes. the time. So it was about I can't remember. What it was I think it might have been one episode per VHS cassette at most two. Right. So you had this. Huge I've got a set that has two on. Yeah. 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 Except and, for and Fallout, was... which has one also itself, and you felt why didn't they half the price? Let's not go there. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a whole load about Fallout, the final episode that. Mm evokes strong reactions mm. ranging from total bewilderment yeah. bewilderment to um, <laughs> at the other extreme of uh, feeling disappointed and let down wow. and that's one of the things i wonder about when we talk through this i'm, I'm very conscious that there still may be people mm. that haven't seen it mm. and maybe people that are listening to this so i'm i'm nervous about how to talk about some of this yeah. without giving spoilers away well i like um, to think that certainly the the listener base for for a show like this is probably at least familiar with it as, yeah. as, a, as a general thing i mean basically what surprises me about the prisoner is there are these 17 films really the short films 50 minute film and it exists in its entirety a lot of fandoms have lots of chunks of their show missing you know, there's there's nothing there. But ITC were very good at hanging on to their stuff and making sure it shot it on film, which made it easy to uh, sell abroad and everything like that. But the actual fandom of The Prisoner has this finite chunk of television yeah. and yet manages to weave a world around it from those 17 hours into, well... 50 years of fandom and meeting at Port Mirian and all that kind of thing. It's it's a very underground movement, isn't it? It's, it's kind of like subversive in many ways. You, it's almost like you, you meet in dark corners and go, and you, you know, or whatever. But I imagine... Special handshake. Yeah, all that kind of thing. <laughs> there are very dedicated fans to what you might think. There are other programmes that were made in 1967 that have similar sort of amount of episodes made that nobody remembers so what was it that made the prisoner such a special piece of television i think there's many aspects that have, have led to it lasting so long mm. and resonating on so many levels it was a singular vision mm. obviously by a very singular creative force in patrick mm. mcguam even though there is plenty of evidence to suggest that he wasn't totally sure how he was going to end it right up to the point that he was writing it, uh, writing the, the last episode. He thought he had another year. He thought he might get a second season and all that. Kind of... Possibly. There's other reports that he had just burned himself out. Mm. And, and actually, he, he was so driven by it mm. and burned out at the same time that in, even in filming the penultimate episode, The Great Two-Hander with Leo mm. McKern, was actually shot as the sixth episode. Mm. Um, so it was a shot with the sort of setting up the final episode, but it was shot and completed way before they actually did the last episode. But in that incredibly intense two-hander, the character and the actors and the real people, the, the line between them just mm. blurred. And, and, and the idea of that episode of where number six is trying to break number two mm. uh, crossed over into McGowan trying to break Leo McKern and Leo mm. McKern actually had a nervous breakdown during that filming so some pretty intense 
the stuff that went into this so going back to going back to your point about how did it last all this time it also is incredibly rich in that each episode stands alone mm. notwithstanding what we just said about the final yeah. episode and the preceding episode and obviously the opening one of arrival and each episode can take on a lot of other issues that are beyond just this idea of a spy who's retired Mm. and whisked away by some authorities who he doesn't know who they are and he doesn't know who the real number one is and they want to get information out of him about why he resigned that's almost like the recurrent mechanism but it it can address issues of education misuse of drugs Mm. and and coercion it's it's an allegory for the times really yeah to a certain extent it's uh yeah i mean you could argue that in that sort of 1960s late 60s cauldron of art it's a piece of art that just happens to be on film to a certain extent it's when you say about it being one person's vision it's very much this is how i see it but i'm trying to give this to the world and it and it does it has lasted hasn't it, it really has. michael grade has said the same same thing as he said actually you know it is like when people view a painting Mm. they can take so many things out of it somebody might look at a painting and it's just a sort of a landscape yes somebody else might look at the same painting and see death and destruction Mm. and he made that comparison with the prisoner yeah and and i think part of the the enduring thing about it is that things aren't explained you know it's not it's not like (laughs) here here it is and you you look at it it's you know i would i would compare it with something like bob dylan's lyrics which have got so much going on going on in them that you can't really explain it all. The only person who could explain it all is is the person who created mm. it, and it's not in their their interest to do that. You know, you really <laughs> do take your own take your own thing from it. And McGoon throughout since then has been was always almost defiantly reluctant to say mm. anything about it. I think I got a quote quote from him as well, which I, I know um, others have referenced, like like Alex Cox, who's a big fan of it as well. Mm. So McGoon said, if whatever we wanted to say is not already contained within the episodes of the series, mm. then I failed in the production of them. <laughs> and any amount of chit-chat now will not make good that omission. <laughs> so shall we end this, uh, this podcast Well, now? absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time. No. <laughs> Be seeing you. No. Um, we, um, again, it's funny you should mention Dylan because this, the, the 60s does seem to have a different kind of identity in that kind yeah. of creative process than the 70s or the 80s or any, any decade yeah. after. Mm-hmm. It does seem to have that particular... The prisoner feels very 1960s, but very timeless in other ways, doesn't it? Yeah. And you, but you couldn't. I don't imagine it could have really been made in that way in any other decade. To be honest, it would have either been too cynical in a later time or too simple. I mean, I interestingly enough, I watched a few weeks ago the opening few episodes of Danger Man. Ah. And one or two of them are filmed in Port Mirian. Weirdly, you know, to to be Italy. And you can all, you can see that there there are actually seeded things through Danger Man. I mean that there are times when the be seeing you catchphrase pops up in Danger Man, and and of course if you've watched The Prisoner, your ears prick up immediately because of this. But I mean this is well, six years earlier, isn't it? This the, the discovery of Port Mirian, and and you can see the wheels turning and things in episodes of Danger Man sort of click in when you watch The Prisoner later. Now I know a lot of people want to argue that they are connected or they are the same character uh, are you one of the people who believes that they are or they aren't again it's, it's what you want to believe want but believe, i think yes. it's fair that initially 
That was what it was sold uh, on, possibly. Well, well, and the production, uh, there's people who are involved in the production who have referred to things like the continuity sheets mm. initially mm. in the making of it, instead of having Prisoner, had Drake. Right. So it was it was actually started filming, and he, and he used the same crew mm. as Danger Man. And I think there's so much that then is sort of just guessed at why, I, I think, from the more mundane interpretation that maybe for copyright and sort mm. of le- legal type reasons, they made the disconnect between that and Danger Man. But then Danger Man was an ITC program mm. as well as The Prisoner. So I can't quite believe don't, that. Don't worry um, about ownership and creative yeah. and created by and all that kind of thing. It might have had something to do with the falling out that McGoohan had with Mark Steen, who sort of right. co- came up with the idea as well. And I think mm. Mark Steen had much, Mark Steen had a much more straightforward interpretation Again, it's interesting because when you see people like David Tomlin and their credits that turn up, they're very much more prosaic, very much more your standard spy dramas. And yet this side takes that and goes, yep, that's fine. Uh, You know, James Bond or whatever. And then suddenly goes bang and just (laughs) goes off in all sorts of directions. And like you say, suddenly becomes this treatise on like you say the drug culture or or the hippie culture or it's all in there isn't it it's amazing really when you actually so, look at it again it's just so much of that stuff that and i think addressed. you're right about it coming out of the 60s and it would probably not be made again hmm. and yet so much of the issues that are raised are still so relevant you know yes, the, the, the prevalence of numbers now in terms of our identity Indeed, the yeah. the closed circuit surveillance yes and the illusion of free democracy, <laughs> as in free for all, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. democracy now is down to very, very enhanced marketing, ideally, mm. where you're homing on the um, those constituencies. Well, if you take an episode like, is it Dance of the Dead? We should know which is the one with the election, which is the one with the election. Free for all. Free for all. Yeah. Uh, and... Irony in the title. Hey, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but the fact that when you actually start to watch what's going on in politics, the politics of the day now you still see the same kind of tricks and wordplay and lies or lies dressed up as truths or truths dressed up as lies sort of mixing up in that kind of idea so when we sort of sit there and go bloody government whatever this has actually always been with us people presumably thought about wilson's government in exactly the same way yeah and i, th- I think the other, the other thing just picking up on it being able to may be made then i think mm. another aspect of it which has the possibility i suppose of of getting of something similar being made as in a, a vision of a singular vision of one person mm. is that it was very much down to the standing that Magoon had with uh, Lou Grade and the mm. trust that Lou Grade had in him trust or maybe just he had to give in to something to keep <laughs> Magoon on his books because Magoon was about to walk so he, he, he let him have his way with it but um and I think also the way all these additional themes come in and the way it's sort of launch from perhaps for a more basic sort of platform of a spy type you've got to sell the show haven't you you've got to you've got to have that one line tv guy description but interesting reading that production and reading about a lot of the accounts from from the people involved Mm. in it i think the way it developed and became this more sprawling open-ended thing Mm. also if you want to get a bit I don't know, almost psychological about it. I think it almost mirrors an unraveling that was happening with Magoon as he went oh, through yeah. it and got immersed. I hear people talk about, yeah, egomania mm. from it as well, and burnout. You hear not just yes. him, but lots of other people. So it's like um, an Alex Cox's book. It actually takes does a sort of almost a forensic examination right, of so day by series. day of the production. Yeah, from, from, right. from the, in the order of the episodes that it was produced, mm. and he he takes a much more literal 
interpretation of it and mm. has an interesting conclusion that not everybody buys into but it is mm. an interesting take on it i think that is another helpful insight if you want that in mm. terms of understanding what the prisoner's about but of course you don't have to understand about how it's been made <laughs> to get loads out of it so are we actually watching the unraveling of a mind <laughs> i think there is that i think there's that that for me is quite fascinating yes. as well when the episode was the final episode was aired mm. I think as we all know that the switchboard was inundated with yeah. angry calls about this is not giving us the happy <laughs> answer that we wanted. Well, and yeah, then yeah. apparently a week later, um, I think McGoohan was attacked in the street or something. And shortly after, he moved to California and, and that's where he lived for the rest yeah. of his life. Again, weird, isn't it? I mean, I know that people do seem to invest in television even now and, and feel that they have a sort of sense of ownership. But to actually sort of take that and actually go and want to bop somebody on the nose because the tele the ending they got it's interesting actually when you think about other television at the moment how people do have that sense of ownership and do it's like quite often everybody now because of twitter and everything wants to be the showrunner they want to be the person in charge of this show or, or they think they should have been asked really and you're not doing it the way i want it and of course you can't make television for every individual you have to make the program and people mm. interpret it the way do you i mean i'm starting to wonder now whether it was actually an analysis of how ITC itself works. <laughs> yeah, there are connections people make with George Orwell was really writing about the BBC. So I don't think it's that big a leap, quite frankly. <laughs> oh, I think I think I think you're, it, it starts off with this. Is number two basically Lou Grade? <laughs> That's what I'm wondering, and the, and and that. McGowan's sort of heartfelt sort of march in at the beginning of everything going on, <laughs> slamming down his his resignation letter is him living that out every time in terms of what he yeah. really wants to say to Lou Grade. Yeah. Is that one of the great starts to any TV programme that we can think of? I'm always amazed at how long it is, that opening scene. Mm. I mean, I don't know whether that's just because it saved oh, money. Yeah. Oh, but it, it, it's just it's it's about two and a half. Is it two and a half minutes? I think it's 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 it's, it's quite long in the first episode arrival, mm. and in a way, it's interesting because it is the thing that you see at the start of almost almost not every but almost every episode. Mm. But in another sense, if you think launching the series. Mm. You're straight in there, really. You're not, not yeah. much sort of, you know, there's this there's this man coming back, uh, this man driving down, handing his letter of resignation in stop. Mm. Who is he using? Why is he, why is he so angry? Why is he driving around in that nice <laughs> sports car? I think I want a sports car like that. And, you know, all <laughs> and then the next thing you know, he's going back home and suddenly there's gas. <laughs> and he opens his window. It's all a bit quiet and peaceful. And you never trust peaceful sort of music in, <laughs> no. in episodes. There's something going to go wrong. Opens up. Where is he? And even though it is quite a long bit that they repeat mm, in yeah. a shortened version yeah. but it's still quite long for every episode it's quite a sort of right dropping you in at the deep end yeah the i mean the it's, yeah, the, the, these days if they're if they're doing the start to a series the whole first episode is setting the thing up yeah. and the first episode would have ended with them yeah how many how many shows do you have to watch where actually to know what's going on you have to have watched the titles you know most people are yes. oh, the tunes on i'll wait and see what's happening oh, da, 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 da. here's the show oh, the show's starting there's the caption I'll... and you know you've missed it you've missed sort of 90 percent of the setup and uh, of course in that opening in. sequence why i would subscribe to that view that it is one of the best opening mm -hmm. starts to any is, is you've got so many of these sort of um iconic off-repeated phrases in there you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. i am not a number 
I'm I, just think, I, again, I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life yeah. is my own. <laughs> well done. Well done. Well, well, I mean, yeah. it's a, a great piece of music from Ron Grainer, isn't it? Absolutely fabulous piece of music. Yes. But also, the imagery has been repeated and seen. I mean, I think the not very great Avengers movie, not the, the Bowler Hat Avengers movie, actually oh, uses the same. Was it Ralph Fiennes in that one? Yes. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And it uses the same underpass. They drive into the, yeah. the same sort of. Uh, underground car park or whatever it was where they actually filmed that but and of course all that stuff with the um rows and rows of uh, i see you have a filing cabinet rows and rows of filing cabinets is is that is that an original <laughs> i actually so this is a spin-off i finished a contract early at the end of september mm. and if it hadn't been for the fact that we're doing hybrid working so ah, predominantly mm. working at home i would so have wanted to live out that I would have stomped into the manager with a letter that probably wouldn't have had anything written. Yet. I resign. I'm woken and up in I'd Wales. Far away in that cabinet, yeah. yeah. Woken up in Wales or Morocco. Walk, or walking, up in, walking up in Port Merion. What could be better? Well, that would have been the real. I mean, Port Merion, we, we, we touched on it already several times. Hmm. I think yeah. Port Merion is as big a thing about the prisoners, as big yes. a star yeah. as any of the personalities in it. Hmm. And, and, and I think it's fair to say, I mean, you've got your studio theme parks and stuff hmm. but i think port merrin is probably the only film set that you could still actually go visit stay yeah. on wake up yeah. in mm-hmm. yeah. and from a wife from the south port merrin is is as much the attraction for us as the series itself and we've hmm. been going to port merrin fairly regularly for like the last 30 years and then of course they had a music festival there for at least six years called festival number six they're quite <laughs> open about the um the prisoner references there i must yeah. admit with the the last time we went i did i did I, it's a cliche but i did have to put the cd on yes. as we drove up it feels like you've got to do that it's a great soundtrack to play while you're driving through the snowdonia hills as well around those Thank roads you. you're you. actually almost yeah. living out some of the episodes there the wilder episodes <laughs> i think it's just a great a great piece of music it's a great soundtrack it, it, uh, it, going back to what things, you're saying about so... grainer's theme though that was the third attempt right apparently. and initially and i've heard the initial version so a couple of other people had a go at it first between wilford joseph who mm. some of his music actually ends up being used as some of the incidental mm. music bob farnan i think was the first attempt but rob grainer's theme when you hear it as he originally presented it is to be frank quite weedy sounding yes. it's, it's got the melody but it's sort of tinkle 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 tinkle, tinkle. and apparently mcgoon was even involved in need in, some big uh, horns mate need some drums exactly <laughs> apparently there's, there's witnesses saying he went into bot and they could see him gesticulating quite actively and energetically with ron grainer basically saying beef it up and then all the horns and stuff came in and it is another sort of well it's interesting again that ron grainer's music gets used in in several tv shows as we know and uh, yeah. and yet sometimes it's not his arrangement is the one that's the most familiar but uh, yes that other tv show which did also... i write that yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> get it a little bit more uh, electrified <laughs> You say it's, have you been a, a regular uh, attendee at Port Merion? So you've stayed in the houses. Yeah, I mean, you can't actually stay in the building that's used as number six's yeah. place because that is actually the shop, the prisoner shop, actually. But oh, there's so many. As a piece of work by Clough Williams Ellis, I think it is. Yeah. Um, is William Clough Ellis, but not necessarily in that order. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I love that, actually. I love the fact that they kept it not mentioned on the credits until that very last episode when suddenly it's, ah, this is Port Merion, everybody, and not Morocco. 
Ross Williams Ellis. That's the way around it is. Mm. Yes, just to protect. Yeah, I mean, he he's it's almost a a strong artistic statement in itself mm. by him because he wanted to. He spent twenty years looking for a, a beautiful place, mm. the ideal place where he could demonstrate his his ideas that you could develop a beautiful place without mm. harming it. And it also reflects the fact that I think he was a big fan of Portofino in Italy. Mm. But uh, I think as he's quoted as saying, he couldn't continue that love affair at distance. So he no. had to uh, bring it to Wales. So there's lots of different characters, a lot of rescued buildings that are brought to, to mm. uh, Port Marion and from around the country and, and that sort of out of place, but put into a sort of fit that's just mm. surreal and weird in itself. Mm. And a lot of the stuff is also artfully done in terms of optical illusions. So they Almost may the, seem the, bigger the flat, than they actually... Yeah, the, yes, the flat a lot of urns and the, uh, the painted windows, yeah. So in some sense, it's like, in some ways, it is like a film set in itself, mm. although yeah. with stuff you can, uh, did, can stay did, in. did he actually... Did he resent the prisoner connection or was he not bothered by it? Apparently, anyway, did did I he think... just bring money in? <laughs> there always was that first and foremost mm. there was i think from some accounts he got on quite well or him and mcgowan got on reasonably well i mm. think because they both had their sort of like very rumors of him following the crew around and tidying up after them and things and, so <laughs> no but, but it wasn't and again, anybody who's had the film crew in the house knows that needs to be done <laughs> <laughs> what was interesting was that they still had day visitors and right. staying at port marion in and wandering around while they were filming mm. which i think gave the crew obviously a, a few more headaches in terms of how to do I think there's one shot I read somewhere where you can see a an old 60s saloon car in the oh. background when you shouldn't really see it because it's all mini yeah. mokes that are yeah. the only transport in. but I haven't noticed that I haven't gone out of my way to find that yet that's next time watching through is it? <laughs> or well, as now someone told you exactly where, where to freeze from <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll try to just I'll try to stop just short of that so some of the times we've been at Port Marion have coincided with when there's been conventions for example mm. like six of one the uh, are one you a member British... have you been a member I am a member. Other other ways of appreciating the series obviously do exist. Mm. There's. I had a friend who was a member and gave me all his paperwork. So I've got a file full of early 80s, six of one stuff that he gave me and badges and uh -huh. stuff. That yeah. He'd obviously decided he was not interested anymore, but I don't know. Because that's really where I got into watching Danger Man. Really, it's, it's not that I didn't know Danger Man existed. I just hadn't watched it when I got all this these magazines that meant, you know, episode guides and things. So yeah. So, so it was kind of, there was a, a big connection there. but A bit like the um, Whovians. There's a lot of really quite intense sort of feeling mm. about, the prisoner and because it allows such different interpretations mm. you can get quite heated differences of opinion <laughs> ah, um, <yeah. laughs> and i think there have been some there's been some schisms and stuff that have happened are they generally well. a nice bunch though I mean... they are i would say they are generally a nice mm. bunch although um, i think this was tongue-in-cheek uh, one year shortly after the i mean we mentioned the cavizel prisoner and mm. um, i i was i occasionally in my time there, I've like interviewed some of the special mm. guests for them that they've had there, mm. uh, some of the people involved in the production. Mm. And occasionally I've done the odd item. I usually mm. tend to, I tend to be the her heretic in the, ah. uh, <laughs> in the, in the, I society. like a bit of heresy. That's good. <laughs> so, um, just after the, um, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> the reimagining of the prisoner went on TV, yeah. I did a piece where I basically extolled its virtues mm. and um we were staying in watch house sue and i which is a great one of the great things that looks out over the estuary one of the great sort of rooms mm. uh, lovely lovely um they're all lovely but that's a particularly yeah. nice place but it has like a porch 
and you go in through the porch into this room but it's accessible from the sort of lawn and we woke up in the morning to find a big pile of old cardboard and stuff like in a bonfire and um, there was a picture of Caviezel and me and a sort of heart and, um, and, and so and a little message I think so along the lines of saying we've just gone to get the matches blimey Charlie <laughs> but they were joking they were joking they assured me they were joking oh were they <laughs> oh were they <laughs> although you have moved four times since then <laughs> yes I didn't dislike it weirdly i know that's i know it, it yeah. probably that's, didn't feel that like sounds it sounds like damned by faint praise no, i, I yeah. didn't dislike it i i because i want you know i watched it when it was on and, and i i have bought the dvd set you know it's it's not terrible if you disconnect it from the, the original show it's yeah. just it doesn't have the same feel to it and that's that's the weird thing and of course the other thing is that obviously now uh, when we when we put this episode out i will have to use a picture of uh, jim caviezel <laughs> because oh, oh we're talking about the prisoner <laughs> because because that's that's the easy google search and that might be the first one you get i don't know i'd love, yeah. it. I mean, I'd love it if you did that <laughs> I mean, that's, you'll get the same hate mail i got <laughs> Well, we need to tidy the garden a bit. (laughs) The thing about remaking these TV programmes is Mm. that are you going to make it better Mm. or remaking a film? You're not going to make it better. So you may make a good film in its Mm. own right, but it's never going to be a patch on the original. It's never going to have the the richness of the original. I mean, the only one that's really worked is the Star Trek films because they had the same cast and they were mm. actually making a point of them getting older and, and mm. even they all didn't work particularly. Yeah. But if you actually, I mean, when they remade The Man from Uncle, that's not The Man yeah. from Uncle. Why call yeah. it The Man from Uncle? It's really mm. very, very different. When they remade The Avengers, it was the same thing. It didn't really work as The event because that, that casting, that group of people coming together mm. in 1960, whatever, to make that show and the memories people have of it. Yeah are so ingrained that actually it's always not going to quite gel with no. them, is it? It's going mm-hmm. to be, I like it, but it's not the show I used to love. So if you remake Bewitched or something, off the yeah. top of my head, mm-hmm. you know, these days, quite a lot of the, it's like Hollywood has no new ideas, but when they remake old ideas, they have to remake them worse. Sometimes, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And the Caviezel series, it's it's a similar setup, but it's not the same show. Uh, and, you know, it looks very pretty. I mean, the stuff in the desert is, is very nicely shot and there's some very good acting in it, but it's not the same show. And this, the thing no. about the 60s show, I mean, I, I we, we come back time and again on the show to the same sort of group of character actors that turn up in all these series. But the performances, the different people who played, I, I, what's his name? Darren Nesbitt. Big fan of Darren Nesbitt simply because he's in Where Eagles Dare. You know, I love mm. that. But I love the fact that these things, all the dots get joined. Well, Darren Nesbitt, I just, if I, I, I should have apologised before no. this was started as well. I'm likely to go spinning off in all sorts of no, directions. Yeah. In the <laughs> Darren Nesbitt was one of the guests we had one year at the 601 convention. Mm-hmm. And I had, the, I had the pleasure of interviewing him for that. And the great thing about interviewing Darren is you don't have to interview. You just basically introduce him. <laughs> and Switch him off. on and away he goes. Yeah. He's such a character. Lovely. And additionally, Sue and I drove him and his wife up to Port Marion from oh. where they live in the South Coast. So we had this seven or eight hour journey <laughs> where we basically had all these stories about stuff that I just had to sort of... But I, I thought I'd just have to remind him in the mm. interview when we did it the next day. Mm. But actually, the interview covered all kinds of other stuff as well. And actually, there was, there was loads of stuff he said. Uh, but there's loads of stuff he said in the interview in front of the audience. But there's stuff he said in the car that is totally unrepeated. Um, but one of the big 
biggest things I like, and he's, he has gone on film and said this, is he said, when asked about his episode that he was in when he was a number two, mm. he actually phoned up his agent while he was doing it and said, mm. um, I haven't got a mm. expletive deleted <laughs> clue what's right. going on here. <laughs> and and he, I think he asked someone else on the crew and they said they didn't know what it was about either. Mm. And, and even in front of loads of devout prisoner fans mm. he stood up and said i hadn't got a clue <laughs> about what was going on and he said that's what informed his playing of the number two as a person who was perpetually in a state of confusion <laughs> and, but he was he, he was so endearing about it and he mm. and he and he didn't mince his words as well about what he thought how he thought McGowan was. A bit mm. So he, I think he's more of a, a subscriber to, certainly by the stage he got involved in, as McGowan as being a bit of an egomaniac. Mm. There's only about a dozen people in the world who ever played number two. Obviously, Darren was one of them. Uh, Leo McKern did it twice. Did you, um, do you have a favourite at all? Oh, I mean, Leo McKern has got to be up there mm. because if not only... The episodes, perhaps. The episode is in. Yeah, but also because of how much he obviously had to sacrifice to well, his betrayal of number two. Yes. He had a nervous breakdown for his sins, yes. and he, you know, he's sort of bookending really the, the, mm. the series. Well, he's in the he's in three of them, isn't he? He's the only one who yeah. does it three times, isn't he? So you got Peter Wingard, who was a nicely ah. sort of suave, sinister <laughs> number two. Yeah, I should, grow, I should grow a moustache and become Jason. Yes, King. so I could twirl it, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I, I did like the Darren Nesbitt one, if only because mm. now knowing what mm. was behind his, his thinking mm. on that. And I the... think there's a, there was a lot of... One thing I've read, again, by... I don't know if it was Tomlin or Bernie Williams. Mm. Someone said that... Um, I think it's a fair observation, given that you're always left wondering who runs the village, which mm. nationality. Mm. It would have been nice to mix up perhaps the nationalities yes. in number two, because there's a predominance of upper-class English. Mm. Yeah. Um, Nature telly at the time, though, really, wasn't it? I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, again, it's odd when you go to, I, I mean, to be fair, you don't get it to the same extent in The Prisoner, but it's odd how male a lot of ITC productions are, but also uh, how white male they are. Yeah. The one, one of the great exceptions, I think, going back to the number twos, is Mary Morris mm. in The Dance of the Dead. Indeed. And that is, that is a, one of the, more surreal episodes mm. it gets mixed um, responses i think and, and originally it was mm. shelved because mcgoohan hated the first cut of it mm. and then um it came back to i'm trying to remember the guy's name smith i think it was who was sort of revamped it and mary morris is just sublime as number two in that yes. role one of those sort of diminutive puck type figure in the yes um, but one of those incredible actresses generally you yeah know, uh, and who is it who plays mrs butterworth as well yes any six of one folks would kill me because i can't remember the name offhand but yes, she's a staple of... Um... I'll flick through. <laughs> <laughs> you carry on talking. So yeah, I'll, I'll, go through the, I'll go through your list here because I've, I've done intensive research here and I've Googled your number two actors. George <laughs> Baker. George yes. Baker. Yeah, David Bauer. Very suave. David Bauer. Patrick Cargill. Mm. That Bauer. hammer into anvil. That, that, ah. Oh. Yeah. Piece of television. You take that out of the prisoner. Hammer into anvil is just a great hour of television i don't care you could take all the prisoner stuff away from it that's still as a piece of writing that's a beautiful piece of television you don't think cargill's chewing the 
carpet a little yeah. I think you've got to. I think you've got to to, to show the point, really. I, I, I love I, I love Harmer and Twelve. Go on, do carry on. Right. <laughs> Georgina Cookson. Ah, yeah, Georgina. Yes. Right. Guy Dorman. Guy Dorman. All a lot of these people end up in Bond films, didn't they? That was a bit sort of strange yeah, or, or had been in. Yeah. And just on that subject, I told you I keep spinning. McGowan was up to be the next Bond. I think he was, actually he was up being considered for Bond before Sean Connery. Too snuggy for me. <laughs> but this is where I think, so Danger Man was very much one of the running themes through Danger Man mm. was that Drake used his wits rather than guns. Mm. So there was a thing about guns that obviously McGowan wouldn't have liked mm. about bond but i think the biggest block of him is the sort of casual casual sex type mm. thing of it and if, if anything that's almost been an issue even through the prisoner mm. it's a sort of matter of record that i think mcgoon was quite almost sort of prudish mm. that even when the script called for him to kiss a woman mm. he wouldn't mm. um, unless he was nigel stock at the time <laughs> unless he was nigel stock indeed that's the only way you get it passed anyway sorry <laughs> We'll carry on. We've got Guy Dorman, Clifford Evans. Oh, yes. Oh, these, these retiring old ones, isn't he? Isn't yeah. that right? Colin Gordon. Oh, now, Colin Gordon, he did it twice. Did it twice, yes. Oh. Fabulous uh, actor. Uh, he's the one who kept drinking the milk, wasn't he? Yeah. The ulcer. Yes. We've got Kenneth Griffith. Kenneth. Oh, Kenneth Griffith was another one who could be accused of chewing the carpet a little bit, but I liked I liked what he did to I mean, it. I mean, it was, he was, was just bit, inspired. It, it was an old style of acting. I don't think people quite chew the carpet like they used to in uh, in acting roles. You know, I think styles of acting well, have well, changed. Maybe, they, maybe maybe they just they they felt they could go for it. They could go that extra yeah. extra loop. You know, it's, just, uh, it's interesting as well. For just just again spinning off, making the link back to Caviezel because obviously mm. I am a big fan of that prisoner. Mm. <laughs> but you had Ian McKellen as the yes. number two yeah. throughout that, didn't you? As a sort yeah. of class actor. Yeah. We kept yeah. expecting him to come in as somebody else, and he never did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same number two. <laughs> Why hasn't Christopher Lee turned up? <laughs> uh, we've got Rachel Herbert. Ah, okay. Oh, Rachel. Rachel was great because that was, I think that was the free for all one, wasn't it? I think where. Mm where she's you only realize so spoiler alert I don't, we're giving up on that as you said everybody's probably watched we hope so. uh, she looks like she's the sort of helper the subservient and mm. she's dressed as a maid mm. and is revealed right at the end as the number two <laughs> and she in her very much in her latter years blessed the convention with a, an appearance one year and she mm. was she was lovely to interview she's a real dear it is kind of strange though because i mean now i'd say it's 55 54, 55 years since it was yeah. made. At time of recording. Well, yes. <laughs> Indeed. We keep them around just for this kind of insight. Yeah, and it's kind of, obviously, you know, there are still people around, but it's one of those, there are, it's diminishing, you know, it's diminishing yeah, sort yeah, of, uh, a lot yeah. of the time. And I always say it's fascinating that people who, it must be very odd for you to do a job 50 years ago and not really think about it and then suddenly have people wanting to bend your ear about it 30 40 years later you know it's, mm. and and want to know what they were thinking on that day and why what was the weather like and you know which way was the wind blowing and all that kind of thing but it's it 
they they were an amazing that, that, that era. I mean, you've got people like Paul Eddington, haven't you? Yep. You know, yeah. And all the, again, you look up these these actors on IMDb and everything, and it's just they've been in everything. You can see their careers dotting through all these shows. It, yeah. uh, one of the things that surprised me a couple of weeks ago, and I'd ne- I'd never made the connection before, was May Gray being Joe Ninety's dad. Never made that connection. Been reading the cast list for years. Like here, here I am with my um, SIG, <laughs> and I have never made that connection before. Rupert Davis is Joe Ninety's dad, the voice of Joe Ninety's dad. Wow. Professor, Professor, whatever his name is, Ninety, presumably. <laughs> eighty-nine, maybe. Yes, <laughs> <Professor> eighty-nine. <laughs> You're rewriting it now, Sam. They're very literally naming thing, you know. <laughs> but but these these things, you know, you just look at cast lists, and 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 you just see the same names. Time and time again, it's wonderful. Anyone okay, okay, for us? Oh yeah, sorry. Oh yeah, we've got we've got, we've got Leo McKen. We talked Leo. about Mary Morris, Dan Nesbitt, Eric Portman. Yeah, he's a proper yes. proper actor of his day. Uh, Robert Rieti, a voice of number two. Yes, he's the one that did a lot of the. Um, going back to the opening mm. bit of every episode, it's the um, it's that bit that. Uh, I know, thought they um, recorded it with the, the new actor every time. Well, I think that was the idea that originally right. that they introduce each number two, but in reality they couldn't do that, and they often used him because he had this voice of authority. So you know, to, to counter McGowan's very strong. You know, Where am I in the village? <laughs> what do you want? Information. <laughs> Who do you work for? That would be telling. Yes, not not quite the same. Uh, we then go Anton Rogers. Anton. Yes. I was watching Anton in Zodiac a few weeks ago. Sorry, just <laughs> one of those things. Just I, I forget he'd yeah. done that as well as because he did yeah. lots of sitcoms later, didn't mm-hmm. he? But then we go John Sharp. John Sharp. Oh, now begins the farmer in uh, All Creatures Great and Small. <laughs> he leans over, leans over fences a lot, and goes, now then, Harriet. <laughs> and you and you look back, you think he was a number two in the prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> We've got uh, Andre van Geisingham. Oh, right. I don't remember. And uh, Peter Wingard. Peter. Yes. But yeah, then you, you you look at the, kind of the guests. You've mm. got Peter Bowles. Uh, you've got Paul Eddington. Yeah. Amazing how many villains Paul Eddington played before he became... Jerry, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Lovable Jerry. And, and the Prime Minister, minister. obviously. You know. Obviously, yeah. basically, all our Prime Ministers have to have been villains at some point. I think <laughs> that's a connection we can all make. I think, yeah, there's, there's a truism there. We've got uh, the wonderful, wonderful Fenella Fielding. Fenella, oh, she, the voice. because She does the announcements. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. She's never actually seen in it. So she was never at no. Port Marion. She was never on the studio, I think, as far as I know. But her direction was they wanted someone who could give these a bit like a um, holiday camp announcer bright and breezy but a bit sinister was the direction <laughs> so um, so she'd be announcing the weather forecast for the day the curfew and the ice cream flavor of the day <laughs> heidi high <laughs> yeah just short of the heidi high but a little bit more sinister than yeah, the Ruth it, it, it is actually a, a strangely fabulous vocal performance and like you say i think was it not actually a revealed that it was her for a very long time or, or... i don't remember seeing her name in the credits that's true mm-hmm. yep and i always we've got the wonderful donald sinden <laughs> talking of a certain line of sort of actors <laughs> that are chewing, chewing carpets yeah <laughs> 
The only you, thing I remember about Donald Sinden is, is them talking about him being a flat slapper. I don't know if you. Oh. If you're not, if you're not heard that way, whereas uh, as you as you walk off, you hit it, so it sounds like someone's clapped. Yeah. You hit the set, and so everybody starts applauding as you leave. And you've, you've been marvelous and wonderful. And so there's an old theatre trick for I'll, you. Sandy. I'll remember that one next time I'm on stage and trying to get the audience to. Uh... You also had um, Marty Hopkirk's wife. Oh, Annette Andre, yes, yes, mm-hmm. the key role. She's actually one who has quite openly said she hated every minute of filming it because how rotten McGowan was to her. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Fair um, Ventum, yes, yep. You may still know from working, still working. I know, and she. <laughs> I bumped into her. This is a terrible name dropping. I bumped into <laughs> her at do. the London Film Festival <laughs> about a week ago, and we recalled how because she'd been a guest at the convention back in 2009 and again sue and i'd had the pleasure honor of um, Mm -hmm. looking after her and her husband timothy carton also Mm -hmm. a known actor Mm -hmm. uh, at the time and and even before the interview we were we were having a son apparently haven't they Uh, well i was just gonna say we were having um we were having a pizza i think before the uh, in one of the restaurants and wanda was sharing how excited her and timothy were about this new thing that their son Benedict had just been starting to filming and they thought it would be good for his career. And it was something <laughs> to do with Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> and Benedict would do quite well out of it, they thought. But no one can remember his name because it's so long and complicated. But <laughs> Yeah. And of course, joining the dots, this thing at the London Film Festival mm. was The Power of the Dog, which is Benedict's latest film, which is a Jane Campion film, mm. which if I can be totally off-piste, it's a wonderful, wonderful <laughs> film. Go out and see it when Fair you get a chance. Right. God. If they so, remade the prisoner, do you think Benedict would be up for it, perhaps? Oh, now there's a thought. <laughs> oh gosh, yes. It was oh. funny. I, I spotted one of them in, in the trailer for that departure series that's been on Channel Five. Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah. she's she's working. And, a, quite and of course, yeah. and of course, the working thing is they her and Timothy did come back. In Sherlock, yes, of course, yes. Played Sherlock's parents, which was yeah. very smart thing to do. <laughs> I see her credits also include Carry On Cleo and Carry On Up the Kyber. <laughs> she obviously had a, an interesting time in the, uh, in the 1960s. She did, did you ever see, and this is another spin-off, did you ever see the series The Lotus Eaters? Yes. She was in. Mm. Because she had lots of respect for McGowan. Mm. And she, she said the only other actor and, and who she compared McGowan with Mm. who had that force was Ian Hendry. Mm. So um, I'm looking at the episode list in front of me. Arrival, Chimes of Big Ben, A, B and C, Free for All, Schizoid Man, General, Many Happy Returns, Dance of the Dead, Checkmate, Hammer into Anvil. It's, uh, this may not be the correct running order. I uh, appreciate that. Hammer into <laughs> Anvil, it's your funeral. on the running order. <laughs> Change of Mind, Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling, Living in Harmony, Girl Who Is Death, Once Upon a Time and Fallout. Four of these had to be filmed around Ice Station Zebra, didn't they? Yes. So, so they were sort of ways to get the main star not to be in it as much. Well, I think weeks. the main one that had to be filmed was, oh, was it Do Not the one with Nigel Stocking, basically. Where yeah, Do Not Forsake Me. I think. Do Not Forsake Me. Well, and, it could be a um, change of mind. Okay, I get those two mixed up. In yeah, and and that's when I think the sort of doubts were beginning to come into people. Well, this minds. was the whole thing about there were going to be two series of thirteen, but then there was only one series of thirteen, yeah, and then they, they added four to finish it off. Is that they basically... got the thirteen in in the bag, as it were, and wasn't the the one you were talking about earlier with Leo McCurm, wasn't that supposed to be the climax of the first series and or something? Or did I read that somewhere? Possibly, but then this is where it gets a little bit blurred and there's uh, there's quite long debates about what's the mm. right order and what is it. There's also a view that there are 
a core seven episodes and mm. um and the rest are all flim flam yeah. and filler yeah <laughs> and <laughs> um, blooming good flim flam and filler let's be frank you know? and, and to be frank one of my favorites is probably one of the most flimmy flammy fillery mm. ones and that's uh, the girl who was death i just love yeah, the, the girl who was death. we've talked about that actually on the show before it is a again it's another phenomenal hour of television probably the least prisonery prisoner episode but just a thing it's, of beauty a thing of wonder fun isn't it and you get kenneth in that as well kenneth mm. in that but chewing the carpet as <laughs> as napoleon is that right? as napoleon i mean well, how else can you play oh, sorry, someone who thinks he's napoleon <laughs> yeah yeah actually that's more to point. not even napoleon someone who thinks he's napoleon so you've really got a double chew the carpet for that haven't you uh, but um, i actually find the girl who was death because it's it's about turning oh does it beachy head lighthouse into a missile so you can launch it and take down the government in london or something that's brilliant isn't it and and you actually you sort of start finding yourself thinking again they were either very prescient or, you know, there are people now who think, you know, that, that might not be the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now that you mention it. <laughs> now that you mention it. Where is Kenneth? <laughs> he's probably doing that... something with Jutland somewhere. But there we go. Yes. And the arch payoff when he sort of is revealed he's reading as a story and just goes, good night, children. Everywhere. <laughs> Brilliant. So do you have an, do you have a favourite or half dozen favourites of, of the prisoner that you... you... Um, are the ones you go to if you if you're in a prisoner mood do you, do you have one you'd take off the shelf here's, here's the thing about the prisoner i think because the episodes are so varied and they work on different levels mm. i watch different episodes if i want to have a sample rather than just watch it all yeah. through depending on what mood i'm in mm. so prisoner is therapy really right? yeah <laughs> That's um, fine. so the, the girl who was death i love as a bit of escapism mm. just live if i want to see it just the sheer joy of it in a way mm. if i want to i think chimes of big ben is quite mm. a good one and particularly because there's an alternate chimes of big ben as well so i know there's a little bit more alternative sort I of just choices remember made. that as a clever clever piece of television on first watching when it has that sort of mission impossible thing of suddenly the walls falling down yes I, I i just like that that whole the amount of effort is that the one where he builds the boat? Yeah. For the art yeah. competition. And you think, oh, the effort and everything. And you get there and it's, oh, you're still here. <laughs> it's also a great example of what you have to do when you watch loads of fiction. And, mm. and my, my wife and I are terrible about this. When when they're locked up in the, um, the crates and being transported yes. a great distance, I can't get out of my mind. I would have to go to the toilet at some point during that. What's he done about going to the toilet? And you don't think yes. about that, do you, really? You shouldn't really think about that. No, no I, yes, no. Unfortunately, yes. You have the same kind of mind as I do. I'm often <laughs> thinking, I think, it's, again, maybe it's an age thing. I don't know. We're all of a similar age. I think you just... The bladder control is important. Yeah, you get to the point in life where you think, how many minutes away from the loo actually am I? <laughs> basically four days in a crate it's not going to be nice in there is it let's be honest <laughs> no but we gloss over and if i'm if i'm for example if i'm going up to port marion mm. is it i'll watch arrival you gotta watch arrival so you don't go in a crate then you don't you don't get packed <laughs> I, i've told you what age i'm at with the bladder control <laughs> issue so that's never gonna happen <laughs> thank you for the invitation <laughs> it, can, it can be arranged <laughs> i mean what, have about you, you, got... what about you guys what are your favorite go-to well, for me, I I do. I, I it's the girl who was death. I always I always end up putting the girl who was death on. It's just one of those. Again, I, I suspect it's because you don't really feel you need to have backstory. It doesn't. It's just that. But of course, that doesn't give you the full sense of 
the show. The Port Mirian stuff, I think, like you say, when you're going to Port Mirian, you have to watch Arrival, I think, you know, and then you have to sort of throw open your windows in the morning and just generally sort of hope it's not raining, I suppose. <laughs> you know, but... Free for All is another classic, by the way, if you're going mm. to Port Mirian, because there's lots of scenes mm. of the of the election parade, and in fact, at convention. Mm. And at Festival Number 6, there's a couple of go-to reenactments yeah. that are done. One's the Free for All parade, where you go mm. around with placards of pictures mm. of Magoo and chanting, vote, mm. vote, vote and yeah. scare the locals. Do you involve yourself in those? Do you... I have been known to occasionally involve myself in <laughs> do, you, do you have an outfit? I have been known to have on the occasional cape. And do you have I've... a, a pipe-edged jacket of any, any kind? I have a pipe-edged jacket. I also have a version of a pipe jacket thanks to one of the six of one guys, Roy Stambro, made a... For a couple of years, he was making pipe blazers hmm. with the um, fibre optics. So it was great. Come festival number six, they lit up and they also flashed. Oh, right. So you could be a flashing prisoner, a flashing prisoner, <laughs> as opposed to the laughing prisoner. Mm. The laughing prisoner was Jules Holland's pastiche of yes. the prisoner, I think, after he sort of resi- resigns from the tube. <laughs> and that was probably one of my early intros yes. into the pop into culture. the prisoner and Port Marion as Wider well. Pop culture things, yeah, yeah. And of course, Jules famously has built his studio in London oh. to be like a mini Port Marion. Well. As it should be. Yes. Should be. Yeah. If we all had the ability to do that, I'd convert in our house. Into yes, anything. absolutely. It's amazing. You, you sometimes see those people who've turned their flats into Starship Enterprises and things. You know? <laughs> yeah. Whatever floats your boat, if it, you know, whatever telling shit. I don't know whether some people have the Ponderosa Ranch or something. <laughs> but it is, a, it is a kind of beautiful thing. I think the, the fascinating thing about the 60s, again, is that somehow mm-hmm. the fashion, you wouldn't necessarily say that the prisoner outfits are the height of fashion. But somehow it's more timeless. If they'd made it in the yep. 70s, it wouldn't actually look as timeless as it does. Mm-hmm. There's something about the, the cut of suits in early 60s television, especially, that actually looks better on screen now. You know, the, th- the thin ties and the thin lapels, they might not look contemporary, but they don't look too strange. And I think that thing, the actual pipe jacket, it's, it's, it's not a terrible look, really, is it? It keeps coming in, in and out of fashion. Now, you know, I've seen it in sort of, in some of the fashion catalogues my wife may be looking at over the years that keeps coming in and out sort of thing and again the sort of the jackets as you say certainly the, the thinner lapel thinner ties there's always a sort of the mod look never totally goes away does it so i think, it, no. it, I think there's also a thing where you actually if you watch the show on mass if you do a sort of binge watch you actually do start to notice possibly how little of it was filmed in port Marion to a certain extent yes there's a lot of stock shots that get reused later certainly as the production gets more i suppose nearer to transmission date and the panic's in there's not any do we know actually how how many days filming were done at port mirin in the end was it was it a large production block or was it they were predominant i think I think they were there in two blocks, if right. I remember rightly. But I'm, I'm a bit hazy. They were there. They, they they were. I think there in September '66 mm. was it. Right. But I can't remember the exact number of days there. But it, it was an expensive series for its time. But they mm. were still having to. By the end, as you say, they were, the panic was setting in, and they were having to watch the money. And I think that, for example, was adding to the pressure for other yes. actors when they were filming with McGowan because McGowan started assuming all sorts of roles he was firing directors yeah. on the set and starting directing himself as joseph surf i think was his credit yeah. that he came yeah. up with and he was also my vision you know, my rules kind of thing and with production responsibilities as well obviously was signing off on the spend yes. on it there is something that i thought i'd read somewhere but obviously i may have read it wrong but the set for the observation room you know with the big swinging camera 
are on the double-ended beam, cantilever beam or whatever it is. Was that a set built for something else? I think I know what you might refer So it was built and designed specially for it by Jack Champion. Mm. And that central control room was very cleverly designed so it could be redressed. Right. It was number two's base. It was the council right. chamber. And it could keep being reset to be those different things, but still have that where you know you're in the village mm. when you're there. But there was something, I don't think it ever ended up in the Chimes of Big Ben, but it was in the alternate Chimes of Big Ben okay. where they were working out how he was making this instrument where you can navigate by the stars. Mm. And they called for a shot of the stars. Mm. Apparently, Tony Sloman, who was a film librarian, was trying to look for footage they could use for that. And it's hard to actually find, apparently, at that mm. time. But on Elstree, they were filming at Elstree at the same time that Kubrick was filming 2001 A Space Odyssey. Right. So overnight... Sloman said he could only admit this after Kubrick had died, but they they nicked a shot from <laughs> one of the 2001 Space Odyssey nights. And in the end, it wasn't used in Chimes wow. of Big Ben anyway. That may not be the thing you're thinking of there, but it's, it's another like, interesting about how all sorts of, by hook or by crook, they put this stuff. Yeah. You do what needs to be done, don't you, to make, get the thing to work. Well, that's fabulous. Sandy, yeah. did you still watch The Prisoner? Have you watched it recently? Uh, I, watched, ooh, I watched a couple of episodes not that long ago. In not preparation like, in, for in the, preparation it's, it's, for it's, 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 it's such a professional, <laughs> <laughs> Such a profession. However, my uh, better half decided that she wasn't really up for 13 episodes or 17 episodes of it. So it kind of uh, with limited solo is, viewing. Is it going time. with your, is your German silent cinema? Is, my German. Is, my is, German. Is stuff you watch at three in the morning. <laughs> yeah, so that, that got put on the, the back burner. So I've not revisited it. You may find you're, what, you're watching The Prisoner in some respect in many of the things that it's influenced. Yeah, I remember we watched. Sorry, I watched the Good Place. No, you watched the yes. first ep- the first episode of the Good Place, and I thought, am I just watching uh... <laughs> the Prisoner with Cheers? <laughs> yeah, even with the sensibilities in terms of the color and the yeah. everything, you know, it's very much like Port Marion. The style of the location. Yeah, mm. this is an like, enclosed you know... environment you can't escape from, but she's, yeah. it has a style all of its own. Yes, and it, yeah, and it, yogurt. It, yeah, <laughs> flavour yeah. of the day. <laughs> Just needed for now a fielding announcing what was yeah. the flavour of the yogurt today. And it, it was good. It's a fantastic programme because it started off with that idea mm. and then didn't slavishly follow it. Mm. It used it as a, a bouncing off point to mm. make its own Stay wonderful mm. programme, which mm. is far superior to the cat weasel prisoner. J.J. <laughs> <laughs> Abrams has said that Lost and Alias wouldn't have existed without the prisoner as well. Yeah, mm. yeah as it is. You know, that that idea of being locked in a place that is like the real world, but not the real world, mm. and has got its own weird things going on in it, is a, is a fantastic idea. Do you um, think it's timeless? Do you think it's still relevant today? Well, you know what I'm going to say anyway, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, do you feel that every time a news story comes up, you can make a connection to the prisoner more or less i think we've got a government of number twos <laughs> in so many and I can't, ways you can take that anyway you like as well <laughs> well i think on that bombshell we may, we may we may call it a day for today but thank you very much for your time tim oh, my pleasure thanks for inviting me and also sandy for introducing us and uh, yes, you know indeed we may yet get to do this again sometimes so, especially as i know i've now heard that you're a bit of an itc fan so we might just drag you back to talk about something else yes what we do you take care thank you very much okay cheers, cheers, cheers 
Many thanks to Tim and Sandy for joining me today for that. Um, thank you very much to everybody at Fab Radio International and, of course, to you for listening. I have been Martin. This has been Vision on Sound. Goodbye for now and take care.